Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of Code Newbie. I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. So we're currently reading Confident Ruby by Avdi Grimm. Today we're going to discuss sections 5.7, 6, 6.1, and 6.2, which cover signaling early termination with throw, and that wraps up the delivering results section. Then we start the handling failure section with preferring top-level rescue clauses and using checked methods for risky operations. And remember that you can follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club and check out rubybookclub.com to follow along. So what did you make of this week's reading? This week's reading was an interesting collection of things to read, so it felt a little disconnected because we're finishing up chapter five and then starting a new chapter so it felt so it didn't quite feel like all the sections went together so my mind was kind of just in a bunch of different places what do you think yes I kind of agree with you because we had it was 5.7 was quite a long chapter and then 6.1 and 6.2 were shorter ones and yes you feel like your brain's jumping in different places and I can't even quite remember or recall actually the key takeaway from the, the, the first example we're going to go through. So this is going to be fun. <laughs> That's why we have the Review Book Club podcast. I know. So 5.7, signal early termination with throw. So I was initially excited about this because catch and throw is something that I've seen before and heard about, but have never actually used myself. So I was really excited to get kind of the official explanation from Avdi on what it was and when to use it. Yeah, I wonder how widely it's used because, again, it's something I've heard of but never used. And I'm not sure I've really seen that in other people's code as well. So here we're talking about a method that needs to signal a distant caller. And I remember when I read that, it initially kind of threw me off a little bit because this idea that callers have distance, right? Mm -hmm. That there's like local, but there's one that's a couple methods away like that is a dimension that, frankly, I'm not used to thinking about. So it was interesting to hear it needing to signal a caller that's far away. Yes, I know what you mean. It's it's goes back to all those different concerns that you need to have in your head when you're writing code and what those implications will be. And so in this example, we are using a, is it SAX or is it SAX? Let's just go with SAX because it sounds fun. I like SAX. Yeah a SAX XML parser class. And that class needs to signal that it is done with all the data and doesn't need to continue parsing. So that's the, the situation that we're in. Yeah, so a SAX is an event-driven parser. And so you create this parser, you say which events you're interested in, and then you give the parser some XML to process and it lets you know when it's encountered those events that you said you're interested in, I think. Yeah, that's what that's what it read like to me too. And so we are working with Nokogiri, which is um, a parser and it parses a bunch of different things. I've used it mostly to parse, you know, websites and scraping sites and that kind of thing. Yeah. And so from there, we have a situation where it is running through a bunch of raw character data. And in the process of doing that, it happens to call the characters method on the handler object. And when we do that, if either the HTML is nil um, or if the, um, if the, basically it's, it's doing an excerpt. So an excerpt has a predetermined number of you know, characters or word count. And so if it's reached a certain limit, 
it can exit and be done because we don't need to continue parsing. Our excerpt is already finished. Yes. And so one of the things that Afti says is that for performance reasons, we want to be able to terminate once the excerpt size limit has been reached because if you've passed in a very large document, then you don't want to keep processing it if you've got what you mm-hmm. need. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And this is where Avdi introduces the idea of a sentinel value. Yes. And what is that? A sentinel value is a special value in the context of an algorithm, which when you see it means that it's, it's time to stop processing, stop doing what you're doing. And you might find this in a loop or a recursive algorithm, something like that, that would keep going unless signaling otherwise. And then Avdi has an example where he says, so in the characters method, when we get to the bit where the excerpt is as long as you need, we might return symbol done. And this is a way that you could, that would be a sentinel value, which is when you see symbol done, we're done. So stop processing. And so in our example, as you said, that's one way that we could do it, but we're still working with that done exception. And so we're going to try and refactor that to kind of bring those two concepts together to figure out how to deal with that exception that's not really an exception and how to use a central value in the process. Yes, and this is where we have the idea of a throw and catch. And as Avdi says, it's a construct purpose-built for non-locally signaling a normal early termination. So where we would have had the raised down exception at the end of the, near the end of the character's method, instead, we are going to put a throw and then the symbol done. So that symbol done is our sentinel value. Mm -hmm. And so when we do that, what we need to now do is have a catch, right? So we just threw the done symbol and we need some place else to actually catch it and and, um, make sure that it doesn't keep going up the call chain. And so for that, we rewrite uh, a part of our code to have catch done and then parser.parse. And so that is going to happen in our get excerpt method. So before we had the get excerpt method and then we had the begin rescue and then we had the def characters that called the exception. Now in the get excerpt, we're going to have that catch for the done. And we know that that's going to be triggered when we are in the def characters method where we're going to actually throw that done sentinel value. Yeah, perfect. And so we see the new code here. And now, as you said, you see the catch in the middle of the get excerpt method, the catch done. And then there's a characters method with the throw done at the end. So one of the first things that Avdi points out is that we no longer have this suggestion of an error condition. So before we were raising an exception, even though it wasn't an exception, it was just a sensible time to stop processing. And so now we have something that uh, semantically means, uh, you know, oh, here's a signal that you should stop. And oh, I've, I've read that signal and it's not about raising an error. So that's, as Avdi says, a more honest story. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love the fact that it's, we're talking about honesty (laughs) and stories in this. Yeah. And also there's less code and we always like less code. Yes. And specifically there's no single use exception class, which, you know, make, makes sense to just not have something that you create just once to kind of throw it away. Yeah. The catch clause can also be written more tersely. It's essentially two lines, right? Well, I don't know if you count the catch 
done and then the end i guess it's three lines ah uh, yes but yes two fewer lines as you said there we go <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one which is that the positioning of things we talked about this before just kind of at what point in the method do we see the information that we need and the last point that Avdi brings up is that because we're using catch done it puts the signal done right at the beginning of the block so right away I know okay there's going to be you know this has something to do with something being done that's happening somewhere else instead of the rescue block that doesn't really tell you what's going on until near the end and again it puts you in this situation where you're expecting that something might go wrong and you don't even know what that thing is so it gives you that information right up front right at the top of your method and that brings us to the conclusion of that section and so Avdi says that you know the the indication that you need to use something like this is when you want to force an early exit which is not an error and which spans multiple layers of a method call and so rather than misusing exceptions we should go to throw and catch. And as Avdi says, they are simpler, shorter, and more intention revealing. But he also says that sometimes you might want to use thrown catch and you might be looking for a place to use thrown catch and it may not always make sense. And so he kind of warns you to look out for possible overuse of it and that it's a really helpful tool and it can be really great, but try not to overuse it too much and he says that it's because every throw has to have a catch otherwise if it's not caught then the program can terminate you know at a place that you didn't expect it to or want it to so you kind of have to be careful when you use it another thing i noticed which i forgot to say when we started this section is that i think this is the first chapter which didn't have a rationale section at the beginning and I've highlighted the bit where Avdi says they are simpler shorter and more intention revealing than raising an exception and added a note which says sounds like this is the missing rationale section (laughs) we'll have to ask Avdi about that yes we will I didn't even catch that that's a good catch huh catch (laughs) (laughs) oh we found that way too funny See, I'm really glad that you laugh because that's usually the kind of thing that only I find funny and everyone just looks at me like I'm like I'm strange. So thank you for laughing with me. I appreciate it. I hope all our listeners were laughing too. <laughs> so that wraps up chapter five. Shall we move on to chapter six? Let's do it. So chapter six, we're talking about handling failure. And in the section, Avdi introduces this and says that we're going to talk about just a handful of patterns in this section. Um, he's already written a whole book about failure in Ruby, uh, which I, I think is is just kind of a funny topic. Let's talk about failures. Um, but he wants to highlight a couple things that are important and that are interesting. Uh, and one of them is about the begin, rescue, end block. So I've actually never seen this referred to as BRE. Have you? Yes, I think I have. I believe I have. Um, do, do people say Brie? Not from what I know of. Can I can I call it? Can we make that a thing? If you want, we could try it out. Okay, because then it sounds like cheese, and I want cheese. I don't like brie um, though. You don't like but what? I don't. Are think you I a cheese do. person? Um, I'm a very fussy cheese person, so I have like okay. cheddar and emmental and mozzarella. I've, and... I've never heard of the second word that you said. Emmental. <laughs> it's a very like straightforward cheese. A straightforward yeah. cheese, not one of those passive aggressive cheeses. 
Um, (laughs) So here we talk about Brie. And uh, my favorite part is when when he says, B-R-E is the pink lawn flamingo of Ruby Code. And when I read that, I thought, oh, so it must be like really cool and really attractive. (laughs) And then he says, it is a distraction and an eyesore wherever it turns up. And I go, oh. I guess not everyone likes pink lawn flamingos. But um, yeah, so he goes into that and how uh, we really don't like those blocks because it's an interruption in our narrative flow and we want to find a better way to, to do that. I just want to say that I personally hate them. and I've had a real issue <gasps> with them. Pink lawn flamingos? No, breeze. Oh, oh gotcha. <laughs> but probably pink lawn flamingos if I came across them, but... Personally, I've had a lot of problems from a readability perspective, also also working out where to put them and understanding the implications of them. So um, it's often a thing that I'm going back and reading and messing up. But I was looking forward to these sections when we came to them. And from what Afti says, it sounds like I'm not alone. Yeah, sounds like. I mean, there's a whole chapter basically dedicated to it. So must be a big problem. And so the first section is 6.1, Prefer Top Level Rescue Clause. And this is, I feel like this is probably the shortest indications, synopsis, and rationale section that we have. They're each one sentence long. And the indication is a method contains a begin, rescue, end block. I feel like all the sections are going to start that way if if we're dealing with the BRE blocks. And what we want to do is we want to switch to a top level rescue clause syntax. Is that something you've heard of before? Yes, I have, and I've used rescue clauses a lot. But I just wanted to say that also, Avdi has not yet really explained what a brie block is. Mm. In case anyone That's a doesn't good point, know, actually, yeah. So I will explain briefly what <laughs> a begin <laughs> rescue end block is. So. <laughs> Just for exception handling, there'll be parts of code that could raise an exception. And these are the bits of code that we want to wrap in a begin end block. And then we use the rescue clauses to tell Ruby about the types of exceptions that we're looking for and how we want to handle them. And it's an, from my research, I found this little interesting bit, which is the body of a method definition is an implicit begin end block in itself. So the begin is omitted and the entire body of the method is is subject to exception handling. And so when you see a rescue at the end, it's basically a begin end block. Okay, so that is so cool because I didn't realize that until the examples that we'll end up going through. And I thought, oh, I don't need to, you know, it, it has its own, it's its own, it's its own method, you know, in a way. And I thought that was that was just really cool. Yeah, and I found a helpful blog post on it as well, which I will put in the show notes. Awesome. So here we talk about how one of the big values in doing this is just a visual value, how it's a very clear visual separation of a method into the happy path and the failure scenarios. Uh, And he actually kind of visualizes this as well. He has def bar and then rescue and then end. And that rescue just splits it up automatically. And you can see that the top part is when good things happen and the bottom part is when things go wrong. So just visually, it's a nicer, easier way to look at things. Yes. And the other benefit of it, similar to that, is that in terms of prioritization, right, we talk a lot about at what point does a developer need to know about this thing? 
Uh, and, you know, what information are we putting in the spotlight versus letting take a backseat? And by doing it this way, we are drawing attention and focus to the working scenarios and letting you read about the edge cases and the failures only after you know about how it should work, right? So it, it prioritizes it working over the possible chance that it doesn't work. Yes, and actually the solution that Avdi shows is something that Thea and I do do a lot of the time, which is just... Do-do. Do-do. That's so funny. Uh, <laughs> yes, with the rescue clause. So it was, it was nice seeing that again. And um, yeah, like you say, it's all about when you read your method, what impression do you want to give across? And as Avdi says, for him, it's yes. the ideal organization for a method. Normal first, failure at the bottom. And in conclusion, he talks about a side effect of this. And he says that usually when you end up using this top-level rescue clause, it means that you have to break out new methods. And when I first read that, I thought, oh man, that means I got to do some more work. And he says that this is actually a great benefit because it forces us to separate responsibilities and to move things in places where it makes more sense. So that's a nice little side effect of using this top-level rescue clause. Yeah. But we have more ways to deal with our awesome blee blocks, <laughs> as we find out <laughs> in 6.2. I wonder how many people are now eating cheese because of this episode. I'm at least thinking about cheese. <laughs> yeah, at least thinking about cheese. There you go. One win for the cheese industry. Uh, 6.2, use checked methods for risky operations. So I've never heard of a checked method before. Is that a category of methods that I just was never aware of? I'd never heard of it before, and I'm still not sure at the okay. moment I know what they are. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see if we can we can figure that out together. So here we talk about having basically the same type of situation where we have an inline begin rescue end block with a possible failure. And I think this is the part where it's different from 6.1 because here we're talking about the resulting failure being from a system or a library call. Yeah, so we're going much lower level. It's not coming from our code now. It's coming from either the, the system that we're working on or another library. And so we want to abstract the error handling because we don't want to duplicate error handling in, in our code, but also it's just keeping methods at a consistent level of, of abstraction. Well, that's a, hot, that's a mouthful. Abstraction. Abstraction. Yes. And so in order to do that, we are going to wrap the system or library call in a method that handles possible exceptions. So we're going to encapsulate them and, you know, kind of protect them from other things. Yep. And so in this example here, we've got a shell command and it takes a message and it pipes the message through the shell command. And so there's a method here called filter through pipe. And it opens up a pipe with like write permissions and then it's it, a block is passed to it. And inside that block, we have a begin, oh, sorry, a Brie block. And the results is set to this Brie block. And what happens is, <laughs> you've won. <laughs> and what happens is the process, it writes the message, it stops the, it closes the write or stops the pipe and then it's read. And if there is an error, it rescues an error, no e-pipe error, 
exception. Uh, other than that, it returns the message. And so what Avdi says is we're going to convert this Brie block into a top level exception clause using a checked method because the call to open the pipe is happening at the system level. And so we want to handle that differently. Every time you say Brie block, I'm just filled with so much joy. <sighs> Thank you. <laughs> so one thing that he mentions is that the refactoring of this is going to use the receive policies instead of data pattern that we learned a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I don't fully remember it. So I had to kind of refresh my memory as I was going through this example. But what I do remember about it is that it included some blocks and it included, you know, passing blocks in and uh, kind of being able to, to deal with that differently. And I remember that when we received policies instead of data, I remember it introduced a lot more flexibility because what's in the block and what you end up doing is something that's determined outside of the method. Yeah, it's to do with being able to be clever about different situations and then mm -hmm. call the relevant blocks or, or lambdas really when when you need to. And set defaults as well. Yes. So the first step in doing that is we're going to create a def checked. How do you, is it, is, it's P open, isn't it? Yeah, because it's pipe open. Pi thank you. I was calling it poppin this whole time. And I felt really <laughs> cool about it. Um, check poppin, you know, um, but no. It's, <laughs> That's it's true. Check, <laughs> check poppin. You just keep that. <laughs> check poppin and breathe. That's the name of this episode. I mean, I think we're done. Um, but, <laughs> drop the mic <laughs> leave so dev checked <clears throat> p open and when we're doing that first we're going to do io dot p open which we've had before but this time instead of having the results equals begin and doing the process right process close right process read and having that rescue all in that <clears throat> all in that one block instead we're going to return yield and then the process that's the first step that we're going to do in moving things around. And then we're going to leverage our top level rescue clause because after that, we're going to have rescue. How do you say that word? Is it air no? Yeah, that's how I say it. Okay. Air no, e pipe. And we're going to call error policy.call. So we have that really nice division that we talked about where. The top of that, which is our P open and our yield, that's what happens when things are working. And then if things aren't working, then we'll call the error policy. Yes. And so now if we go back to the filter through pipe method, it looks much nicer because what we do is we just call the checked, check popping method. <laughs> and we pass in the block. And this time all we have to do is do process, process write process close write, process read, and that's the end because the error handling is dealt with in the checked popen method. Yeah, and it also reminds me of one of the things that Avdi said was going to happen in, our, in the conclusion to 6.1, where he said that when we use that top-level rescue clause, we end up having to break out other methods and kind of move things around, and there's a nice side effect of that too, and we kind of ended up seeing that here, right? We're able to focus the checked P open on being able to write and close, write and read and focus on that. And we remove the error handling to just a different place and creates a nice separation of responsibilities. Yeah. And so Avdi says that if we were going to take this further, 
what we do is wrap the system and third-party library calls in an adapter class, which is something we looked at, I think, very early on in the book. Mm-hmm. And it's the idea of being able to f- adapt these external classes to have a shared interface, which makes it easier to deal with and to collaborate with with the other objects in our in our code base. Uh, and it also means that we can keep the design of our code separate to details of the code in these third-party systems. So we have this common interface which we interact with and we can confidently interact with and we don't need to worry about the details of how these other libraries are behaving as long Mm -hmm. as we have that common interface. Yes and that adapter layer that you talked about is something that you know is written about in many different books and papers and all that and one of the books that Avdi suggests is by is it Alistair? Am I saying that right? Mm -hmm. No that sounds like Alistair. Alistair. Thank you. I definitely call this man Hollister. Okay, Alistair Cockburn uh, and his paper, Hexagonal Architecture. And he also talks about a book, Growing Object-Oriented Software, Guided by Tess by Steve Freeman and Nat Price. That's the Goose book, right? I have... Is that the Goose book people That makes sense. It spells out to be Goose, so that makes sense. I've never heard that book before. I think that's the book everyone always talks about. Okay, cool. So if you want to read more about this adapter layer and how to kind of separate those concerns in this way, Avdi has a number of different resources for you to check out. Yeah. And so that's the end of that section. Yeah, pretty much. That wasn't too bad. Not at all. We got through it. We got through it in the end. (laughs) So in this episode, we talked about catch and throw. And we want to know, is that a tool that you've used before? Have you found yourself looking for a place to use it and possibly overusing it like Avdi warns us not to do? We want to hear your catch and throw story. Record your 30-second response or just write us your story and send it to us at hello at rubybookclub.com and you might hear yourself on the show. And don't forget to tweet us at rubybookclub and tell us about how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project. See you next week. See ya! See ya!